The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. Saturday, 2nd of May. The Fujicast. Hello, welcome to the Fujicast. It is a it is a weekend, but the weekends, as we said before, feel like a Monday, feel like a Tuesday, feel like a Wednesday, feel like a Thursday. What day is Not it, Kev? Today. Not today. It's my little Albie's birthday. Oh, yeah. Happy birthday to you. In fact, Albie, lean across here. Albie, there we go. Oh, no, you shouldn't drink that. <laughs> Let your dad have it. Uh, well, well, happy birthday, Albie. He's uh, yeah. so, so he is now nine. He's nine. nine Although yeah. a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to somebody and on a uh, Zoom cast, and Gemma was with me, and I said, "I can't believe Albie's going to be seven in a couple of weeks." And Gemma, <laughs> Gemma looked at me as if I'd just poked her in the eye. She said, seven? I went, "Yeah, can you believe he's seven? She went, "He's nine, you idiot!" Wow. What was um, you? Yeah, um, I was just about to ask what what's he having for his birthday because um, uh, the, the more astute of you will realise that we don't actually record this. Um, well, it doesn't go out live. It actually gets recorded slightly beforehand, and I'm just a little bit worried he might be he might might have his ear pressed up against the door or something. So I'm not going to ask you that question. Um, it's okay. I'll tell you what he's having. Can you? Nothing. He's having a lump of coal, <laughs> and he's going to have a sausage sandwich for breakfast. <laughs> and they wonder why Mullins is like he is, eh? <laughs> oh, well, happy birthday, Albie. Um, are you doing some sort of party this, this afternoon or evening to, to celebrate it? What, what are you up to? Uh, we're just going to stay in, I think. Have a nice <laughs> I know quiet... you're going to stay in, but are you going to do something? Yeah, because... <laughs> Uh, no, we'll we'll do some stuff. Yeah, yeah. we'll um, we'll we'll crack open the Zoom and get all of the the various relatives who are in various states of craziness around the world and yeah. country and stuff like that on board. I'm sure. How does he feel about having a birthday during lockdown? Is he all right about it? Yeah, oh, he loves lockdown. Does he? He's, he honestly, he he would be. He's a little bit like me. He like we go for a dog walk and he kind of peers out the door. Does he? <laughs> Is it? Is there people out there? Are there Martians? Remember those, there remember Martians? those things we used to see outside? Yeah, those things, those yeah. things with two legs. Are they still around? There, there are parts of lockdown, um, notwithstanding, of course, people's suffering, which I, you know, wouldn't want that at all, of course. But there are parts of lockdown that have that have actually sort of relaxed me quite a lot. There are parts of it that have gone completely, and lots of it that have gone completely the other way. But the one bit I really don't like is that bit when you peer out the door. And then you sort of do what you've now called the COVID dance, where, where, where you sort of run across the road, just so you don't have to brush within three metres even of somebody. Yeah. I had a three-way waltz this morning Did when you? I was walking the dog. <laughs> <laughs> we, got, we got to the crossroads up by, the, uh, up by Malmesbury Abbey, and there was, uh, there was an old lady on walking sticks. Yeah. There was a guy uh, with um, two big, heavy carrier bags of, of shopping mm. and myself and the dogs. We all kind of just looked at each other. I went to the left. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like I went to the left. The old lady just stood there staring. Yeah. The man with the bags went to the right. I went to the right. The man with the bags went to the left. The old lady just stood there staring. <laughs> I moved forward a bit. The man went back. The old lady just stood there staring. staring. She won the competition. Yeah, I was going to say, I've, I've won this right. <laughs> I fought two world wars not to have to cross the road for you, little whippersnappers. How, how is it they say in the Rocky Horror Show? It's just a jump to the left. <laughs> and then a step to the right. Stop it. Um, right, we've got one question, then we've got a guest. Um, so we have a Saturday special guest, we have a Sunday special guest. 
Uh, Denise Bass, uh, who I think was mentioned this time last week from Rhode Island. Um, she's snuck in with another question for a Saturday. Hi, Neil. Hi, Kev. You can yada, yada, yada this part, but I just want you to know how much I enjoy the Fuji cast and the two of you. The interviews and photography tips are educational and inspiring. I love being part of the Fuji cast Facebook group community, and I would like to adopt your dog, please, called Monty. No, she didn't say that bit. Oh, I was just about to put him in the post. You were getting excited then, weren't you? <laughs> uh, oh, he's getting better. He's, he's a cute little thing. He's grown on you a bit, hasn't he? Stinks, though. <laughs> anyway, my question is about making photo books. I took a two-week trip to Cuba 2018 with a group of photographers. What's a trip, Kev? A trip? What's a trip? Is that when you go out the back garden and fall over? Yeah, it must be. With a group of photographers, and I, wa I want to make a photo book for myself. I've been making personal scrapbook-style photo books and wedding albums for ages, so I understand the methods involved. My problem with a Cuba book is, is how to organise the content. I want the book to be special, like a coffee table book style. I want one big picture per page and maybe a small caption. We visited five different cities during the two weeks, so I could organise the book chronologically, day by day, city by city, or I could organise it by subject, people, streets, colours, architecture, etc., uh, and not worry if two facing pictures were shot in two different places. I can't decide. Love to hear your thoughts on how you approach building books. Now, now Kev is uh, the book designer supremo, Having uh, having had a published book out himself, uh, yeah. Although I didn't do any of the designing, that mm. was all done by the uh, the designers, the publishers. But I guess if you're doing it yourself, I, the the single most important thing is the pictures. That's 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 the important thing. And too many people create books, and these are books that you would buy in the shops, proper photo books yeah. that don't allow the photos to breathe and i say that a lot when i do my um book reviews and stuff a photograph if it's a photo if it's a book about photographs the photograph needs to breathe so you mean by so that, that not, not having sort of nine or twelve on a page yeah not having too many on the page yeah. and not have not overloading it with text as well so i mean if it's a storybook and the pictures are, are so supporting it or yeah. it's an educational type book or you know whatever then you do need a lot of text but if it's about the pictures then uh, I much prefer to see books with one image, one side, and a very short amount of text on the other side. Um, I was I was looking at the uh, Darcy Padilla book, Family Love, um, which I reviewed recently, and uh, and that's what strikes me about that book. It's a, it's heavy and expensive book, but and you look at it and you think, oh, that's a big book. It's got five hundred pages. Yeah. But actually, there's you know, in most cases, there's only one image per spread. So a spread is when the page is you know folded over, and you know on the other side is just a short quote or a very small yeah, piece of text, yeah. and that that's all you need, I think, for if you need to include any text whatsoever. If it's telling the story of a trip, then try and keep it. Um, you know, if you're doing some introductory text to it in terms of this was my trip, this is what we did, this is how we got there, and here are the pictures, then probably chronological is the best way. Um, but be brutal with your editing. It's better to have a small book with really top-notch images in it than a bigger book with, you know, relatively similar images. And you can't quite decide whether you want to get that one in. If you can't, if it doesn't hit you straight away as as a as a picture you want to show people publicly in a book, ditch it. Do you know of any um, travel kind of books? I mean, I'm thinking of one. It's not really a travel book. But the way it's laid out is beautiful, and and um, obviously he goes on his travels during this book. Uh, I'm thinking of Genesis by Salgado, uh, which is beautifully laid out. That 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 could be a good one to go get some um, 
go get some inspiration from certainly denise yeah there's a um there's an author called peter may who wrote uh, uh, novels who's written a lot of novels um he wrote the uh black house trilogy and um various other things very famous you just type his name in and uh, away you go um but he he produced a book that was the photographs of all of the places that his novels are set in, in the Outer Hebrides. Um, and now, if you bear with me, just bear with me, Caller. Right. I'm just going to grab it off the off the shelf. Is there one at the back? Uh, I got it. Right. So, the book is yeah. called Hebrides, and it's you will find it under Peter May as the author of the book, but it's actually photographs by David Wilson. All right. Um, now, if you read the book, if you read his books, you'll you'll be mesmerised by this book because his novels are all based in in the place. He bases his novels in real places, although they're make believe. Um, so you're looking at these pictures and thinking, yeah, I can just imagine Malachi doing what he did in a particular book, etc. But the photographs are by David Wilson, and um, you know it's really well laid out, and there's you know lots of kind of full page images, and mostly there's there's small amounts of text, but mm. descriptions where you know where these particular scenes were set in the books. Etc. So that's a really good one to, to check out. Peter May Hebrides. Um, but otherwise, you know, it, it really depends on the style of the book. If the book is more about the environment, for example, or, or the landscape pictures, then, you, you know, you want to keep them together. Try not to, I would suggest, try not to mix and match styles and genres in the book itself. So, you know, if you've got lots of portraits of people in Cuba, then make the book about the portraits of the people in Cuba rather than... Yeah. Here's portraits of people in Cuba, and now here's a really beautiful picture of a Cadillac. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, which would um, make sense. However, it depends on the audience, of course. If this is just for you, Denise, and your friends and family, then, uh, you know, put in it what you want. Yeah, and when you've done it, Denise, send us a signed copy, please. Yes, it absolutely. Be, it could Address be on the website. 1,300 <laughs> quid in a few years' time. Um, yeah. She said, P.S. Kev, I think you said you don't listen to podcasts, but I also know you like country music. There's an yes. excellent podcast on the history of country music called Cocaine and Rhinestones. You might want to give it a try. There we go. No, she's not the first person to point me at ah, that. Really? I have to say. Yeah, go. somebody so, else did, and I can't you, remember who it was. Have you listened to it yet? I, I listened to it, yes, I did. Did I did. you like it? Yeah. No. Yeah, oh, yeah, no. very good. The problem with music podcasts, they're not allowed to play music. No, I know. That's, that's, that's such an annoying thing about, yeah. Mm. <laughs> anyway. Um, thank you very much, Denise. Hopefully that's your question answered right. Since it's a, a weekend on the show, we have a guest. I'd like to introduce you to a, a very special photographer called Donna Svenovic, uh, based in New York. And as I found out with four, not three, there goes my attempted detailed date research, decades of experience behind the lens. We have what I might describe as a, a gentle meander through her career, shooting everyone from presidents through to gangs in the city. But you know, the one thing I, I really get through Donna's work, and in particular a recent exhibition, which you'll find on her website, with, of course, a link via the shiny new website we have, fujicast.co.uk, is just how important personal projects are. I think, or I hope to talk to Donna again, because I think we could spend um, a longer time talking about her work with ABC The Broadcaster on foreign shores and her time photographing some of the stars of American screen and, of course, elaborate on some presidential stories. But rarely, very rarely, do you get to have a coffee talking about what celebrated photographers do when they have their camera at home, as it were. And that's what I try to do at any rate. Dear listener, let me introduce Donna Svenovic. First up, Donna, how are you? 
I am okay. I'm okay. Uh, I have stabilized in the quarantine. The first couple weeks were very strange for everyone. And I have a routine. Like I, like I said, the first couple weeks, everybody slept late, ate junk food and watched Netflix uh, and just freaked out and watched our president every day and freaked out and uh, were soothed by our great, great governor, Andrew Cuomo, mm. who I'm interested in going out on a date with, by the way, just <laughs> putting it out there. Uh, but we're going through a lot here. There's a lot of um, sadness and grief. And uh, I am doing some photography uh, around the city, too. Yeah, I was going to ask if, if you've been able to get out there with a camera. I talked about this with, with Adam Gray, the photojournalist who's in New York, and uh, he was saying yeah, it's a very difficult time to get out there and make pictures and, unless you've, you've got some sort of reason to be out there doing it. You know, that you, you hit the nail on the head. That's a really good point. Um, I have uh, worked as a photojournalist uh, in New York and all around, and I've you know been credentialed. I've had access, and on a certain level, there's nothing I'd rather do than uh, be in a hospital uh, mm. and be in the middle of it, um, ma making photographs. So it's really all about access, and I don't, I don't feel comfortable uh, taking a picture of somebody being wheeled out from an ambulance. Uh, I did lift my camera up to shoot it, but then I put it down. And so what I've been shooting uh, is the city, mm. is these um, empty spaces and the spring. That's what I've been shooting. Yeah, you made a piece about that, actually, in, in the, to, to camera, a video piece, a journal piece. It really brought home to me, and you, you mentioned spring. And it really brought home to me the, the kind of eerie nature about this time of the city. There was a small things, actually, like the fact that you felt that you could now ride safely around the city on a bike. Exactly. I don't know. Are you a bike rider, Neil? Well, we have we have them. But where, where we are, there's, you know, five cars on the street usually. I mean, it's, it's a very different story when you're cycling around New York, I know. Well, I, I've been a bike rider for many, many years, bicycle rider in New York City. And... It's crazy. It's yeah. it's dangerous. It's yeah. crazy. I just got doored for the first time uh, six months ago, and that it wasn't so bad, but it destroyed a bike. And you really have to pay attention. And sometimes it's just not worth it because yeah. it's too tense to ride. But now it's open and it's it's strangely safe. You can even I rode up Fifth Avenue on the sidewalk the other day up from 42nd to 59th on the sidewalk all the way and if you appreciate fifth avenue that is uh, that is a stunning thing three decades behind the camera then donna i, I know your work continues four. four four decades no surely not i know i started when i was you know about nine yes that's it i look back at certain pictures especially that that show i had a couple of years ago mm. called looking for elsewhere yeah. and mm. i was so young and those were those were some of the first pictures i ever did ever made and i'm telling you 
that I don't know how that happened. I was completely <laughs> visited by the gods with those photographs. How did your parents feel about about the you you you've documented your parents? How did how how do they feel about you being a photojournalist? And and what happened next with you traveling across the world to do it as well? Well, um they thought I should work for the telephone company in Brooklyn. <laughs> That's what they were sure I should do. When I started there weren't that many uh, photographers and there were certainly not a lot of women photographers and it was in Brooklyn Bay Ridge Brooklyn nobody kind of was a photographer it was a weird thing to do mm. and then I started working for the local papers it was two weekly newspapers in our uh, community and I started working for them and I I I um had to do the cover every week, the the front page every week. So I had to come up with some picture every week. And if it wasn't a great picture, it would haunt me the whole week because I'd see it on the newsstands. But then my father and my mother and my parents, Bob and Doris, they were so proud of me uh, when they saw my name, my byline, and they continued to be so proud of me. You photographed captains of industry, uh, presidents, youth gangs, I mean, a variety, death row inmates. Do do you ever consider what your life might have been minus that that black box loaded with film? I guess I haven't thought about it. Uh, It's been a... uh, it's been a very, very, very rich life. Yeah. It's been a very rich life. But, you know, you know, some people where they think, you know, you can have it all, you can do everything. I don't think you can do everything. No. I don't think so. How, how do you go into a shoot that's got that much variable about it? For, I mean, for instance, how do you approach photographing a president one week and then somebody on death row the next? T- take me through your work as a photographer. And when you, when you go to, to these kind of assignments, how you're feeling, what how you photograph, how you go into a room to approach these different people? That's a good question, Neil. Uh, The first thing you want to do is be uh, awake. You want to be mindful. You want to be ready. Uh, You don't want to be distracted. And I think even this morning, I got up very early and was walking around Manhattan. It's raining. I was just photographing again the spring. I, w- I, I was kneel- doing a lot of kneeling down and crouching and, and studying different blossoms and, and looking at it. And, and I realized it's very much like a meditation because when, you're, when, I'm, when I'm photographing, and I remember knowing this at, at a very young age, when I'm photographing, no pun intended, you really focus mm. uh, and everything else goes away. Uh, the house could be burning down, but if you're going to photograph something, you're not noticing it. So there's a great uh, paying attention. And it's also intimidating. When you're with the president, you, you feel like, oh, my God, there's the president. Oh, my God. You know, you, and, you, and you try to put that aside. And then on the other, on the other side, with the gangs, it's uh, also, oh, gee, what are these guys like? Uh, am I safe? And I don't. And I. And I never tried to uh, be with the gang guys. And I ended up. It's funny. I ended up being friends with them. Uh, but I didn't go in like that. I didn't go into the situation like that because that would have been untrue. 
Mm. I went in as a photographer and I said, this is what I want to do. And what I'll do is every time I, I, I do photographs of you, the next time I'll come back with prints for you. And that's what I kept doing. I, and I kept going back there over and over again. And I would bring them prints. You became a very trusted member because I, I believe actually you, you became an alibi for, for some of the gang members when you were photographing them or recording them, I think, on a tape recorder doing an interview when they could have been framed somewhere well not necessarily I don't mean framed but they could have been placed somewhere else at the scene of a crime yes when I was with them a murder was committed they were accused of the murder there was some uh, television commercials and television shows that you could hear in the background of the tape recorder and um, the first time and, and I was an alibi witness twice I had never done that and uh, the first trial was, uh, I guess, a hung jury. And then they had to wait a couple years in Rikers Island before the second trial. And the second trial, they got acquitted. And that was on your, your alibi, was it? Yes. Yeah. New York Daily News. Now, you, you were there when it was the biggest selling newspaper in the state. Yeah, now I've been talking about access with a few photographers of late and, and, and the fact that the Americans, they get it. I, I don't mean uh, just the people that are being photographed. I mean the public. I mean everybody gets it and people embrace it, whilst other places just, just don't. They, they may think they have press freedom, but they, they clearly don't. Do you think that's true in America, that, that people see the work of photojournalists under a, a, a very different spotlight? Well, that's another uh, real positive that I experienced years ago because I was shooting also at a time before publicists mm. and before a whole public relations machine. And uh, I, I remember realizing very early in my career that wanting to be photographed is um, is a flattery and is something that is um, extending some respect to a person. Mm. It's paying attention again. It's paying attention to someone. And also, um, I tried to be very careful with people. It was kind of wide open. I don't think it's the same anymore. I think people uh, are different now. Life magazine always fascinates me. And, and you've... I mean, you've been credited with a picture of the year in, in that illustrious publication. That's quite a thing to hang on your wall, I think. Uh, but, of course, it isn't a magazine now. And, and that was the place great careers started, wasn't it? I remember as a kid, uh, we, everybody got life mm. uh, delivered. And we also got National Geographic. And you could not throw away either of them. So in my parents' house in Brooklyn, there was just hundreds and hundreds of lives and look was another magazine and national geographic and it was just this maybe it was i'm not sure about this but it might might have been the first magazine that used pictures so gigantically uh full full page full bleed uh double double truck uh uh pictures just so big and it was also Photography was new. Color photography yeah, yeah. was new. I think you would say gobsmacked, wouldn't you? Yeah, well, I think it's an American phrase, but we'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> you've you've travelled the world, particularly when you work for ABC. There's a lot of suitcases, Donna, and a, a, a lot of towns. Was it the travel that kept you fascinated through all that time? What, what, what was it that kept you on the road and away from home? 
Yeah, it's novelty. I think some people like novelty, mm-hmm. like a lot of novelty. And I certainly did. And it's also an escape. I mean, I remember packing all the equipment for the trips. That in itself, uh, the night before, you're, you're again, I, I'm focused, I'm thinking, I'm trying to anticipate what do I need what do I what do I not need you know because it's always so heavy mm. and uh, very often I went uh, alone uh, and met up with people and it was it was just so exciting getting in that taxi at, at 5 a.m or 4 a.m and getting to the airport and smelling the jet fuel <laughs> and uh, you're off you're you're free uh, you know again you're leaving everything behind and going forward. What, what were the stories you particularly liked covering abroad? What was it about the different countries you went to? I mean, it's, it's impossible to even start listing them, but what, what, were, the mo- what were the highlights? Well, uh, and it wasn't only abroad. Uh, I, I think uh, in anticipation of speaking to you, I was just thinking, and I was thinking, and also, also um, what's going on in New York. Mm. I was thinking that my maybe my talent or also my love has to do with um, intimacy of photography and relational photography. It it could be anywhere. It doesn't have to be uh, abroad. But it was it was always when I would meet people and spend some time with them, and it could be a uh, you know uh, some Maasai. I remember one morning. We were in the middle of nowhere. It was me, a guy, and then a tracker. And the three of us were in the... We were near uh, Olduvai Gorge. I think I'm saying it right. I think that's where man began. We were camping there. And we were making a fire, waiting for the tea to cook. And then all of a sudden, these two Maasai came around. And uh, we're just, you know, came to say hello. They had spears and beads and everything and and they uh they uh wanted we gave them some tea and they hung around for a while and i uh i took photographs of them but it's just those um intimate connections uh all over the world and that that what what keeps what which what i discovered were all they wanted some tea um I have a photograph of them holding the Nikon, and somehow I don't know why we were we were all laughing, and and they were looking at the Nikon, laughing just like they could be on Broadway over here. There's there's yeah. a lot of personal work it seems on your site, Donna. The the feet series. This is what you're famous for, <laughs> the, the feet series. Proper long tail project. I mean, some people talk about long tail being what five ten years. You've been do- you've been doing that project since 1978. Am I right in thinking that's the one that started on Brooklyn uh, Bridge, or, or was that that an image that was just part of this series? That started actually on this bridge called the Verrazano Bridge, right? And that connects uh, Staten Island to Brooklyn. So I was photographing the New York City Marathon with my then boyfriend um, Dan, who was working for uh, Newsday or the AP. He taught me so much, and it was it was a great relationship. Mm. He was a, he's a great photographer, and he was generous, and so he was going to go on top of the um, Verrazano Bridge, 
And um, he said, okay, you come too. And so we went on top of the Verrazano Bridge. And that's before a lot of people did that kind of thing. So we were up there. And I guess I don't have fear of heights. And we were looking around. It's very high up. And then for some reason, I sat on the edge and I was wearing sneakers. It's a black and white photo. You you can see it on my site. And I just decided to hang my legs over the edge. And then I and then I shot it. And that's the first time I did it. But then it became the red the red slippers, didn't it? Then I I asked the um, Brooklyn Bridge. I asked for permission to go up there. You have to actually walk up the cable with uh, safety belts on. And I went with two bridge workers, and one was in front of me and one was behind me. Mm -hmm. And they were saying... You know, if you trip, you're not gonna you're not gonna die, but you're gonna get gonna get really scared. Right. So um, I did not tell them or anybody that my idea was to do the same thing. I had some red high heeled sequin stilettos in my pack, and I didn't tell them I'm gonna go up there and sit <laughs> on the edge. I didn't think that they would like that. Um, but then when I got up there, um, they were nice guys. And I said, I took the shoes out of my pack and I said, this is what I want to do. And they said, okay. And then they helped me. They, cause it's at a slant yeah, yeah. Uh, on the edge there. It's not flat. So they helped me. They, they held me and, uh, so I wouldn't fall off. And I did that shot. Donna, you're you're not shy of showing everything, your feelings, your emotions. It all comes across in the pictures that you that you show online. Your your relationships with people in particular. You've just talked about your relationships with people and how important they are. That one with your father the day he passed, I was like, whoa, I that blew me away. I mean, that became part of the feat series as well, I know. Um, but describe for me what you felt that day, because that was a palpable moment. That that last day of dad's life. Yeah. So I got a call from my mother in the morning. She said, um, I don't think I can't get dad up. I think he's dead. Hmm. And my mother was starting to um, starting to have dementia then. And so I just um, put a camera. I put a camera in the bag and I took my dog Sparky because you see Sparky in that picture. Yeah. And I walked into the room and. I still wasn't sure because my father was in a sleep position that we've like this, that he was always in, that we know it very well, that position. But then when I walked over, um, he was dead Mm. and and he was cold. I sat down in a chair and uh, my mother was in and out. We were crying a lot and it was very peaceful there. And then Sparky, my dog, got up and sat on the bed right there. He was very used to being photographed, Sparky. Was he? And I just, I just did what I usually do. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I shot, I, I photographed it. Yeah, photographed his, him, and Sparky and my feet. I, I've talked with photographers of, of late, two or three actually, and recently in a row who have photographed their parents' battles with Parkinson's and dementia. And you mentioned mum sadly has dementia. I'm sorry about that. Are you intending to, to photograph her plight? Well, every time I, I uh, have my real camera and I'm going to take a picture, she goes like this. Right. Um, she was a knockout. 
mm. when she was young. I mean, I have I have scanned and retouched a lot of the old snapshots, and she used to wear red lipstick, and she had blonde hair, and she'd wear tight suits and high heels and she's she's ravaged by time in a way now um mm. and by so she doesn't ever want me to take her picture except she allowed me at her birthday recently uh she put on some lipstick and she she actually posed for the real camera so what i do is i sneak i sneak pictures yeah. on the iphone when she's not looking or she doesn't realize sometimes Maybe maybe that's a terrible thing to do. There's documentation. Is, it, is yeah, that, I'm yeah. a photographer. Yeah. I'm doing it. Um, so I do uh, I do sneak pictures of her. Yeah. Now away from uh, the photography, there's a bit of a, a, a left turn at the traffic lights, as, as I call it. You're an actor as well. Yeah. How did that all come about? I started photography and acting almost at the same time. Ah. Uh, I remember I took two courses because I thought, "What? I'm not working for the telephone company, so what the heck am I going to do? <laughs> yeah. And I took uh, two courses. One was uh, photography and one was acting. And uh, I loved them both, but acting terrified me. And I'm not using that word lightly. I don't think I had the ego strength or something to act because it was just wildly scary. Like, like uh like, uh, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't do it, uh, but I was very attracted to it. And then concurrently, I started working as a photographer immediately for these small papers and for everybody in this small community. Uh, people just asked me to shoot things for them. So it just took off. You had to choose between the two then, Donna. Uh, I don't see any reason that I do. Uh Sometimes I do more of one and less than yeah, another, yeah. but boy, they kind of really work nice together. They really do. It's using different parts of your brain, your being or something. Yeah. Well, look, you're still a photographer. Um, what's next photographically? I, I know photographers always have plans. You've got long tail projects, um, I'm sure, and you've got things that you want to do, achieve, see, be, places to be. What? What? Where would you like to go? What would you like to do? I don't know. <laughs> One thing I'm working on is uh, is a um, theatrical piece using writing and photography. Ah. that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to do. And when I when I ever do it, I will certainly let you know. But that's one thing. And then, I don't know, I, I'm trying to be open. Because now, in a way, I love doing a, a portrait of a person more than ever. Mm. It's such a wonderful thing to do. It's such, it's getting to know someone. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's such a, a pleasurable thing to do. An absolute pleasure to talk with Donna Svenovic, the um, New York-based photographer. And as I said right at the start, the links for the things that she talks about, uh, such as um, the gangs and the feet series, and even Sparky, you'll find them on fujicast.co.uk. And uh, in the future, yes, I'm really hoping to invite Donna back to talk about to talk more about the the photographs that she took of presidents and and of course the uh, the time that she spent with ABC, the broadcaster. That is it for Saturday. W wish Albie all the best. Happy birthday to you and all the rest of it. 
Yeah, he's growing up, uh, isn't he? Yeah. Now, he's nine years old, so he's not yet allowed his first free glass of, uh, of sherry. That's uh, going to be a few years yet. I'll have it for him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you will. Wish him well. Have a, have a nice Saturday. Have a nice Albie's birthday day. Bye-bye. The Fujicast is an independent Loading Zone production. Goodbye, sweetheart. Well, it's time to go. We're back tomorrow with another show. Well, unless we're fired, we'll talk to you then. Goodbye, sweetheart. Goodbye. Goodbye.